You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Morning, and we're glad you're here with us today. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. If you're our guest or uh, joining with us for the first time, uh, we are going to be looking at the issue of how we grow spiritually over the next four weeks. Some of you are familiar with this movie. It's created by the Sun Grove team, and we will be following these three stories over the next four weeks. It's something you will not want to miss. Let me uh, just ask, though, before I get going here today, uh, how many veterans do we have in the room? Any veterans in here? Just raise your hand. Would you stand? Would you give it up for these who've served in our armed forces at any time or level? It's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You know, thank you for your service uh, at whatever point in history. Uh, we really, really appreciate you, not just because Veterans Day is coming up, but just because you uh, understand what it is to get into an organization, a branch of the military, uh, to serve your country. And uh, I'll tell you what, the military has it down. The military has this idea down that your identity isn't clear until you understand the identity of the organization. If you're in a branch of the military, the first thing that they do when you go off to boot camp is they shave your head and they begin to wear down anything you've put out there is like, this makes me unique, this is my identity, they just kind of level the playing field. Whenever you see maybe on TV or something like that, you see like the, the uh, you know, guys in the military, maybe they've got their little Hollywood haircuts, that's just Hollywood. Because you get in there, they just make it high and tight and it's pretty much consistent through boot camp all the way across the board, and they begin to break down and wear down as you begin to understand what does that branch of the military represent, then you begin to understand where do I and my gifting fit in to the overall picture of the mission of that organization. The military understands that you don't know your identity until you understand the identity of the organization to fulfill your mission. In the same way, your identity in Christ always starts by being clear about Christ's identity. You don't know who you are spiritually until you understand and you define who Jesus Christ is. That Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He is God become flesh. That he lived a perfect life. And that from the very beginning, his intent was to live a perfect life die on a cross, taking all your and my sin upon himself, paying God's righteous wrath against sin, canceling that debt, offering to us the gift of eternal life. He was dead, buried in a tomb, rose to new life, ascends back up into heaven as God. When you and I become clear about who Christ is and who Christ's identity is, then we begin to understand what our identity is truly is. It's when he adopts us into his forever family. We say yes to who Jesus is and yes to what Jesus's work on the cross was. And then we begin to understand how we fit into that big picture. And so we ask the question, well, how did Jesus move as a person? How did he move from Joseph's carpentry apprenticeship to fulfilling his mission as King of Kings and Lord of Lords as the God of the universe. Well, it started when one day he went down to visit John the Baptist. 
He goes down to see John the Baptist at the river. John is baptizing people. They didn't know what to call it except that the, the word baptizo means to dunk. And they were like John the dunker. And that's what he was doing. He was down at the river and he was dunking people saying that, you know, if you associate with this, there's a possibility your sins could be he's basically saying repent to them. Repent. There's a sign of your repentance. And so they're going down the river. Well, Jesus goes down there. He's perfect. He doesn't need to repent. But he goes down and John sees him coming and Jesus asks him to baptize him. And John says, listen, no, no, I'm not worthy to baptize. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. I need to model what my mission is all about. And so all the people who are there watching, they've been seeing John the Baptist at the celebrity. John says, I must decrease and Jesus must increase because John the Baptist understands his role in the kingdom of God, in God's mission. And so he says, I must decrease. Christ must increase. And from that point on, many people left following John. It wasn't his intent. And instead, his intent was right, that his, even his disciples would go to follow Jesus. Well, Jesus is there and all the people around watching. And a voice, an audible voice comes from heaven and says this in Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 11, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Right away, before Jesus did anything, before he died on the cross, he really hadn't done much of anything, God speaks Jesus's identity from the very beginning. Hasn't even been baptized yet. And God says, you are my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. You know, I, I've had three boys uh, born to Heather and I uh, over the years, and uh, I remember even Zachary, my firstborn, uh, when he came out, Heather had C-sections, and so typically after the baby was extracted and born, uh, they'd be repairing Heather with a C-section, and so then I would be the first to hold the baby. So I would be holding the baby, and they're kind of patching her up, and I just remember looking at Zachary and thinking, like, you're my son. Like, we've been waiting nine months to meet you. Like, you're here. You're my son, and I, I love you, and I'm, I'm pleased with you. He hadn't, he hadn't done anything yet. He wasn't playing drums. He hadn't sinned yet. There was plenty of that to come because we're born into the flesh, right? But he hadn't done anything yet, and his identity was who he was, that you were my son, whom I love, with you, I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't done much of anything yet. And before he does anything that might be conceived or perceived to be performance-based, God speaks his identity. And so to you and to me, he does the same thing. That God says, you are my son or my daughter whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And you begin to think, well, who would love like that? Nobody loves like that. It's always based on performance. It's always based on what you're able to achieve. And we've listened to voices in our past. We've had relationships we've interacted with that have tried to define who we are and what we're like and what our characteristics are and name for us our identity. But God from the beginning says, you are my son or my daughter whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. You know, we walk into a church 
on a Sunday morning and you might be a guest or visiting with us, you might be a longtime believer, but sometimes you can kind of walk in and be like, I don't know if I should even go in there because like I'm going to taint the rest of all those people. You know, like if I walk in, it'll just compromise the whole thing. And if you think that, you misunderstand what the church is all about. The church really is the hospital for all those who have sinned, for all sinners to come together to say, we are in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior. And it's not based on my performance. It's entirely based on what he has done. But I've been adopted into his family. I share in his honor and in his glory. And anything that comes out that's good comes out because of the overflow, because I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High God, whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. And you might walk in and, and you might be in a midlife crisis or you might have a change in your family status. You might have a change in your occupation or a change in your health of your body. You've got a change going on in your life and, and I just need to let you know something. Hang on, just a minute, listen. A change in your status is not a change in your identity. What's the first thing guys ask when they meet each other? So what do you do, right? Because we don't know how to like compare ourselves with other people as men until we know what other men do. What's the first thing ladies ask when they meet each other? Oh my gosh, where'd you buy that? <laughs> right? It's just a whole different playing field. But right away, we want to understand what's defining us, whether it's on the outside or what we do. Instantly, we think that what we do or what we have defines us. And most of the bragging that happens online is based on what we do or what we have or who we're with. And God says, listen, I'm the God of the universe and I love you. And I am well pleased with you. And you think, well, who would love like that? I mean, really, can Christ's love be enough? Can I rest in his love? My cup on the inside of my soul becomes full because I am being made whole in who Christ is in my relationship with Jesus. And in that filling, then everything else that comes out, whether it's good and bears fruit, and produces results is as a result of the overflow of what's going on in here. But our identity has been victimized by voices. Voices from your past. People who have defined you and told you that you're insignificant. People in your past who've told you that you're incompetent, you'll never amount to nothing. Voices in your past who say that you're unimportant. Yeah, you do whatever you wanna do, but ultimately we just don't care. We've been told what our body looks like. We've been defined by our accomplishments in the past or our lack thereof. Our failures have been hung over our head. And you and I in our identity regularly get victimized by voices. You've also been robbed by relationships. 
that there are certain relationships you got involved in, in the context of that relationship, that relationship began to define you. And maybe you found yourself keep running back to those types of relationships because you think that's the kind of person that I want in my life or that's the kind of person I am or that's the kind of person I deserve. And maybe for some of you, it's not only the voices that maybe a supervisor or a boss or a coworker or an athlete or a friend or someone said to you, but it's also the context of the relationship you had with them that they regularly put themselves in a position of power over you to elevate themselves and to decrease you. And then we have the God of the universe who just says, I have compassion on that. You're like sheep without a shepherd. And he shows up to a group of religious performance-driven people who are trying to perform and attain the standard of the Old Testament law, but then the Pharisees, the religious leaders, have come on and heaped on more law on top of what God ever intended, more rules, more regulations, and they elevated you based on your ability to perform. And they're exhausted, and they're weary, and Jesus shows up on the scene in Matthew 11, verse 28, he says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm humble and gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, they're weary. They've had the yoke of performance put on them. They've had the yoke of definition put on them. They've been victimized by voices. They've been robbed by relationships. And it is exhausting. And Jesus says, take off that old identity. Take off all that exhaustion and put my yoke, my identity upon yourself. Let me define who you are as your creator, as one who loves you, as one in whom he is well pleased. And so by the truth of what God says about us, we cancel the voices of the past. We cancel the relationships that detract. And we begin to walk in a new identity. Well, God gives us new identity. When we submit our life to him, when we receive the gift that he offers of eternal life, when we submit and say, God, I cannot ever perform enough to get to heaven, but you have paved the way through your death on the cross. It was all your work. It was all your doing. You were the one who triumphed. I am just saying yes to you in that. Then we have a new identity in Christ. And he begins to make us a new creation. And he gives us his Holy Spirit on the inside. And no matter how you try to hide it, it sneaks out. So I'm on a plane, but he year and a half ago, and I'm flying uh, to Colorado, and uh, our family is on the plane, but we, uh, we you know, registered late, and so we, we got all split up. You know, we only had single seats available. So we, I, we go toward the back of the plane, and, I, and, and Heather and the boys, they all get seated, and I realize all those seats are taken up, so I have to turn around. I have to walk back, you know, up the aisle to find a seat. There's maybe two or three left open. I say, okay, God, where would you want me to sit? I got choices, but maybe there's one that's better than the rest and you have an appointment in there somewhere. So he just kind of leads my heart. Hey, sit right over here. And so there's a, a person on the window and a person on the aisle. Hey, is that seat available? Can I sit there? So I sit down next to this girl on the aisle, this man, uh, older man on the window. And uh, I just sit there and I'm just kind of quiet. We're all doing our own thing. Kind of people have headphones in at first and plane takes off or flying. 
and uh, headphones come out, people start talking to each other. Well, I decide I'm just going to be quiet for a while, which is unusual. And, um, <laughs> and I'm going to just listen, you know. And so the, the elderly gentleman begins to ask the girl, what are you doing? She said, I'm going into the military. I'm actually flying out to boot camp right now. I'm going to go from Denver to, you know, wherever, Alabama or somewhere. And I'm going to be in the military. My sister's in the military. She's in, like, HR and administration. It's what I want to do, but I'm flying out there to do boot camp. I'm a little intimidated. Well, the guy says, well, years ago I served, and he began to talk, and they began to talk back and forth, and I quickly realized, this guy over here on my right, he's like a Lutheran pastor, right? No idea, right? So he's talking. I'm just curious, like, well, what's he going to say? Like, how's this going to go, you know? And start listening. After a while, they begin to pry. Okay, well, you know, I pipe in here and there, and then they're like, what do you do? And I go, well, actually, I'm a pastor. And we've been talking for like 45 minutes at this point. I go, I'm a pastor. And the girl goes, I knew it! what? I'm like, like, I don't got like a collar, you know, I'm not like, you know, wearing like pastoral, I don't have like Christian t-shirt on, nothing, you know, uh, none of this. And like, how do you know? Well, in the context of conversation, there's just something about you when you have God's Holy Spirit in you. It's the aroma of Christ. It just leaks out of you. You can't hide it. So here, this older gentleman and myself begin to walk this young lady about to change her status, but we have the hope that she could have a new identity in Christ. And we begin to walk her through verses in the book of Romans to show her that Christ paid the penalty for her sin, to walk her into new life. And she had all the information and everything available by the time the plane landed that she could make a decision on her own for Jesus Christ. And he would give her a new identity. And her name's Sarah. And we're friends online to this day. So it's just cool, like, that she is able to do that. But how does that happen? How do people know? You're like, I mean, please put yourself in my shoes for a minute. Put yourself on a plane. And talk to people. And, and just imagine the reactions. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh. Headphones. You know. <laughs> Instantly, just, you know, they just will sometimes shut you up. You can tell because to some people... There's something inside that smells like life to them. To others, it's like the smell of death. And Paul talks about this in the book of Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, if you have your Bible, open there. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. Paul, whose old identity used to be performance under Judaism, and he would go and persecute Christians and kill them and put them in prison. And that was his identity until he came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And God broke into his world and called him to himself. And Paul submitted his life to that Jesus, you in fact are the Messiah. You were God incarnate, become flesh. I saw you get killed. You rose from the dead, and you were God. And he submitted his life to God. And at that point, then he begins to talk to people about Jesus. And here he says this, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death to the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? What's he saying? You and I have the God stink on us. We've got God sent on us. And there's just something about us that's different. And people see it. 
And we think you might blend in and just look like everybody else or be like everybody else, but there is something about have God's Holy Spirit that you are salt and you are light in a world that's losing flavor and a world that is cast more and more in darkness. We don't understand what Paul's talking about here unless we were at that time living in Rome and saw in a Roman culture, what is this triumphal procession that he's talking about? Where's this triumph and what would achieve a triumph? Well, you need to understand some things about Roman military operations. First of all, you need to understand that a Roman general could only achieve a triumph, which was the highest honor, if he met certain conditions in battle. And here's what those were. You would have a triumph, you would achieve a triumph, and then when you came back home, you'd have the triumphal procession. It was the highest honor, military honor you could receive. And here's what would happen. For you to achieve a triumph as a leader, you would have had to actually be the commander in the field. You couldn't like send your soldiers off and say, hey, go take care of trouble, I'll meet up with you later. No, you had to actually be the commander with the forces behind, you know, uh, on, you know, Back, not on the front lines, of course, but right there with them, guiding and leading them. Secondly, 5,000 of the enemy needed to have fallen in one engagement. Third, you had to have positive territory gained for the kingdom. It couldn't be that you ran over and quenched an uprising. It wasn't a civil war situation where you went in and you dominated and, and that was great and all, but that would not qualify for a triumph. You had to gain new territory for the kingdom. And last, the military campaign must be finished, the region pacified, and the troops brought back home. When you met all those conditions, then you would achieve the highest military honor known in its day, and it was called the triumphal procession. And what would happen in the triumphal procession is that there was an aroma. As the troops were coming back in, led by the general, there would be priests, and priests would light incense in these little boxes called the incensor, and they would swing them back and forth. So as you came marching back into town, and in your train, your procession, you would have yourself as a general, you'd have all the soldiers, and behind them, you would have the vanquished enemy, those who were destined to be killed or destined to slavery. And they would be walking in the procession too, like I'm showing off who we just kicked rear on, right? So you can walk back in. These priests are swinging the scent of incense all over the place as they were coming back in. And you would march through that. And to a Roman soldier, you would smell that smell. And it would be like World Series champagne to you. <laughs> and you would smell it. And anytime you ever sampled something like that in the future, it would remind you of the triumph. But to some who were in the procession, that scent got in their nostrils, and it was the scent of death. It was the scent of defeat. You ever smell the cologne that was similar to the cologne of somebody who was abusive to you? And yet a similar scent could have been somebody you maybe dated at one time, and whenever you smell that, you throws you right back there, right? Our scent of smell is powerful. And Paul is saying that as Christians, we have the aroma of Christ. To some, it's the aroma of the triumph. To others, it's the scent of death. But we are the ones that God has put his Holy Spirit into. We carry this around with us. And we can't hide it. 
and God uses it, and he is up to such a task. You know why? Because it's not your triumph. It is he who triumphed at the cross, and he carries us as captives in his train, but we are redeemed. We are walking to life, and it is the scent of life. But to those who are perishing, for many, it would be the scent of death. So your identity in Christ is the aroma that God uses to point people to his reality. See, the person who is open to God or begins to look for God will look past your spotty performance. See, it's the person who has no interest in God who's going to go, well, you're not perfect. Quit trying to push your stuff on me, right? They don't care, but the person who's open, they, see, they smell something different. God is drawing them. His Holy Spirit is beginning to draw them. They say, there's something different about you. I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is. And then we point, it's the aroma of Christ. It's Jesus Christ. See, if you and I were perfect, we would be unrelatable. And sometimes I think we get this picture like Christians are supposed to be like nice people out there. Like if you're just nice enough to people, you'll convince them to accept Christ. And that is absolutely not the point. That's a performance. That makes you begin to make you fake. See, my job is up here is to kick the pedestal out. People put whoever stands on the stage on a pedestal. My job is to kick it out and say, I am a sinner saved by the triumph of Jesus Christ. And it's only because of his grace that I can be who I am or do what I do. So follow me as I follow Christ. If I don't follow Christ, don't follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. It's his procession. It's his triumph. But we're called the love people. And I got to help you understand this a little bit. That when you and I love people, it is not earning favor. We're not loving them to get them to love us back. When we love people, we are loving people as an expression of favor. We're expressing what's already happened. We've received favor from God. We understand who he says we are, a son or a daughter of the most high God, whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. I have received favor. And so out of that overflow of what's going on in the inside of the overflow, I express favor to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. We are the aroma of Christ. One of the most beautiful scents of smell would be the scent of generosity. See, you can't tell your nose what that scent is, but we all know what it's like to receive something generously, don't we? We know what a, how good generosity looks on a person. We see the fruit of spirit in people. And generosity is just an extension of our identity. We have received favor from God, so we favor other people. So for example, yesterday in here, Unitech was having its graduation for medical and dental technicians. So they're here in our building and our heart is that they would walk in here and say, oh, there's a scent in here. There's a scent, and it's not Gold's Gym. It's not that scent. We're Get rid of that scent. We want a different scent here, right? So they would walk in here and that they would, they would sense that there's something different about this place, that this just feels comfortable to them. But more importantly, it's not the building because the building is not the church. We are the church and we exist for the world that as they interact with Scott King, who's the principal of the Unitech school, as they shake his hand, that they would have been like, Scott, there's something different about you. There's some light in you. There's an aroma about you that's pleasing, and this is your church? That's cool. 
God uses that. The last two weeks, we've had every single staff member and barista from Starbucks, all 12 Starbucks in Elk Grove, have been doing their training in the studio upstairs uh, on all their Christmas products. So they'll come in there and be like, hey, these are our new Christmas products. These are our new drinks. And we're going to be selling this and these cups. And they kind of do a little party and a little you know, training. But they've had literally, we've had over 250 baristas from Elk Grove working in our building the last two weeks. Isn't that awesome? We think God can use that. Right? It's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea to have every barista from Starbucks know where Sun Grove Church is, right? But our hope is that they walk in here and that they just interface with us and they get the aroma of Christ. In fact, we offer the building to them for free. You know what Starbucks is used to? Talk to the regional director. Starbucks is used to when they say, hey, we need to rent some space to do some training. The company knows that they're from Starbucks. So they're like, jack up the prices. Hey, you're from a successful corporation? Let's just elevate the prices. They come to us and we say, use it for free. Is there anything else we can get you? How can we help you guys? How can we bring value to what you're doing? And in their mind, they think, wait a minute, doesn't, doesn't the church, don't Christians stand a little bit against some of the things that Starbucks as a corporation would elevate and value, which is what our culture elevates and values? Yes. But we are the aroma of Christ and it's stronger than the aroma of coffee. And we think, we think that Christ is a real and living person, not a product. And we want to help make sense to your marketing, to your soul. We want to help. And we think God uses that because it's the aroma of Christ. So what happens? We've received favor so we show favor. When you are at work, when you are at school, when you are doing drama as a young person, when you're doing any of these things, you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, have the aroma of Christ in you. And you need to realize that authenticity trumps self-perfection. When you and I think we have it all together, we are not approachable. We need to walk authentically. And my dad, before he passed away, was an attorney for all these years in Southern California, and he taught a Bible study. And so every week he would handwrite his notes, and on purpose, he can type, he would have his secretary type up his sermon notes every week. She, on a weekly basis, even if he changed secretaries, whoever it was on a weekly basis, would get the aroma of Christ. He didn't have to do that. He could have done it on his own, but he just saw it as opportunity in the context of all the legal work and professionalism they would do, that uh, it would be one of the things he would just ask her to do. She got the aroma of Christ. For you, be authentic. If you have kids, you and I as parents, we make mistakes. Apologize to them. Don't always have to be right. Relinquish your right to be right and say, I was wrong. Be authentic. You might not know where it all is. You might not have it all together. You might not know where in this book it is. And you're beginning to discover Jesus and beginning to look at it and, and learning and growing more spiritually. And just because you said yes to Jesus doesn't mean that suddenly now you have to be perfect in your entire life. No, you're associating with Christ's perfection. And he makes us righteous. But you say to your kids, listen, I don't know where it all is. Let's learn together. Let's walk through this together. I, I don't have it all together. But will you walk with me as we begin to unpack this and know Jesus more deeply? 
And so we have identity in Christ. In your program, you've got a little paper that looks like that. And uh, it looks like a little passport. It's on the back of your outline. I actually have this in my medicine cabinet. So in the morning when I'm getting ready, I just open that up and have a daily reminder of who Christ says I am. There are three main categories. First, I am accepted. Second, I am secure. And third, I am significant. Picture that for a minute. I am accepted. How often have you put yourself in the position of being orphaned by God? Sometimes it's your sin and you make that at distance between you and God. Other times it's insecurity. I don't know, maybe God doesn't love me so much. I don't know, does God really love me? We begin to question, am I accepted by him? I am secure. God's not gonna leave you. He's not gonna forsake you. He didn't forsake Jesus on the cross as God himself. He was fulfilling what the Old Testament Psalm 22 said the Messiah would do on the cross. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22, one. God didn't forsake him. It's exactly what the Psalm teaches, that God accomplished his purposes through the Messiah. We are not abandoned, we are not orphaned, and we are significant. God will use you. You say, God, I don't know, I don't have it all together. I don't know all this, it doesn't matter. You got the God stink on you. You got the Holy Spirit in you. And he's going to do what's his kingdom's work in and through you. So don't let the enemy get in there and say, you got to be perfect to serve. You got to be perfect to volunteer. You can't do that because you're not at a right, exactly a right place. No, you begin to serve. And so we look at these together, just these statements. Read along as I read. I am accepted. I'm a child of God. I am Jesus' chosen friend. I'm holy and acceptable to God. I'm united to the Lord. I've been bought with a price. I am part of Christ's body. I'm a saint, a holy one. I've been adopted as God's child. I've been redeemed. It means I was in slavery and he bought me. I've been bought. I am complete in Christ. I'm secure. I'm free forever from punishment. I'm sure all things work together for good. I'm free from any charges against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am sure that the good work that God began or started in me will be finished. I am a citizen of heaven. I can find grace and mercy in times of need. I am born of God. The evil one cannot touch me. And I'm significant. I am salt and light for everyone around me. I'm part of the true vine. I am handpicked by Jesus to bear fruit or produce results. I am a spirit-empowered witness to Christ. I am a temple where the Holy Spirit lives. I'm at peace with God, and he has given me the work of making peace between himself and others. I am God's co-worker. I am seated with Christ in heaven. I am able. I'm his building project, his handiwork, and I am able to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's our identity. You've been victimized by voices. You've been robbed by relationship, but it only matters what God, who he says you are. And when you understand who he is, you understand where you and I fit in the big picture of his kingdom. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Just for a moment as you're thinking about your own life. Some of you in this room, you, you maybe have been coming for a little bit. It might be your first time. It may be that you've been here for a long time, but you realize you have misplaced your identity. You've never fully submitted and acknowledge in your heart who 
Jesus really is and what he did and how that covers your sin. And if today you would like to say yes and begin a relationship with Jesus to put yourself in his triumphal procession, then you simply are responding to his gift of forgiveness and eternal life to you, then I want you to pray a prayer like this after me. Just right where you're seated, you pray something like this. Jesus, today I'm saying yes to you. I ask you to come into my life. Make me a new creation. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you were buried and that you rose from the grave, that you are God. And it's only through your work that I could ever have acceptance before God. So Jesus, I ask you to give me your Holy Spirit and give me relationship with you. Today, I give you me. Jesus, today, I'm saying yes to you. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.